spirits in a material world. The Torah sometimes says something of fundamental importance in what seems like a minor and incidental comment. There's a fine example of this near the beginning of today's parasha. Last week we read of how Moses was sent by God to lead the Israelites to freedom and how his initial efforts met with failure. Not only did Pharaoh not agree to let people go, he made the working conditions of the Israelites even worse. They had to make the same number of bricks as before, but now they had to gather their own straw. The people complained to Pharaoh, then they complained to Moses, then Moses complained to God. Lama hariota lama why have you brought trouble to this people? Why did you send me? At the beginning of this week's parasha, God tells Moses that he will indeed bring the Israelites to freedom and tells him to announce this to the people. And then we read this. So Moses told this to the Israelites, but they didn't listen to him because their spirit was broken and because the labor was harsh. This phrase seems simple enough. The people didn't listen to Moses because he'd brought the messages from God before and they'd done nothing to improve their situation. They were busy trying to survive day by day. They had no time for utopian promises that seemed to have no grounding in reality. Moses had failed to deliver in the past. They had no reason to think he'd do so in the future. So far, so straightforward. But there's something more subtle going on beneath the surface. When Moses first met God at the burning bush, God told him to lead and Moses kept refusing on the grounds that the people wouldn't listen to him. He wasn't a man of words. He was slow of speech and tongue. He was a man of uncircumcised lips. He lacked eloquence. He couldn't sway crowds. He wasn't an inspirational leader. It turned out, though, that Moses was both right and wrong. Right that they didn't listen to him, but wrong about why. It had nothing to do with his failures as a leader or a public speaker. In fact, it had nothing to do with Moses at all. They didn't listen to him because their spirit was broken and because the labor was harsh. In other words, if you want to improve people's spiritual situation, first improve their physical situation. That is one of the most humanizing aspects of Judaism. Maimonides emphasizes this in the Guide for the Perplexed. The Torah, he says, has two aims, the well-being of the soul and the well-being of the body. The well-being of the soul is something inward and spiritual, but the well-being of the body requires a strong society and an economy, where there is rule of law, division of labor, and the promotion of trade. We have bodily well-being when all our physical needs are supplied, but none of us can do this on our own. We specialize in exchange. That's why we need a good, strong, just society. Spiritual achievement, says Maimonides, is higher than material achievement. But we need to ensure the latter first because, in his words, a person suffering from great hunger, thirst, heat or cold cannot grasp an idea, even if it's communicated by others, much less can he arrive at it by his own reasoning. In other words, if we lack basic physical needs, there is no way we can reach spiritual heights. When people's spirits are broken by harsh labor, they can't listen to a Moses. If you want to improve people's spiritual situation, first improve their physical conditions. This idea was given classic expression in modern times, 
by two New York Jewish psychologists, Abraham Maslow and Frederick Hertzberg. Maslow was fascinated by the question of why many people never reached their full potential. He also believed that psychology should focus not only on the cure of illness, but also on the positive promotion of mental health. His most famous contribution to the study of the human mind was his hierarchy of needs. We are not a mere bundle of wants and desires. There's a clear order to our concerns. Maslow enumerated five levels. First are physiological needs for food and shelter, the basic requirements of survival. Next come safety needs, protection against harm done to us by others. Third is our need for love and belonging. Above that comes our desire for recognition and esteem. And higher still is self-actualization, fulfilling our potential, becoming the person we feel we could and should be. In his later years, Maslow added a yet higher stage, self-transcendence, moving beyond the self through altruism and spirituality. Hertzberg simplified this whole structure by distinguishing between physical and psychological factors. He called the first Adam needs and the second Abraham needs. Hertzberg was particularly interested in what motivates people at work. What he realized in the late 1950s, and this is an idea revived more recently by the American-Israeli economist Dan Ariely, is that money, sal salary, and financial rewards, stock option options and the like, isn't the only motivator. People don't necessarily work better, harder, or more creatively the more you pay them. Money works up to a certain level, but beyond that, the real motivator is the challenge to grow, create, find meaning, and to invest your highest talents in a great cause. Money speaks to our Adam needs, but meaning speaks to our Abraham needs. There's a truth here that Jews and Judaism has tended to note and live by more fully than many other civilizations and faiths. After all, most religions are cultures of acceptance. There's poverty, hunger, and disease on earth because that's the way the world is. That's how God made it and wants it. Yes, we can find happiness, nirvana or bliss. But to achieve it, you have to escape from the world by meditation or retreating to a monastery or by drugs or trance or by waiting patiently for the joy that awaits us in the world to come. Religion anesthetizes us to pain. Now, that isn't Judaism at all. When it comes to poverty and pain of the world, ours is a religion of protest not acceptance. God doesn't want people to be poor, hungry, sick, oppressed, uneducated, deprived of rights or subject to abuse. He has made us his agents in this cause. He wants us to be his partners in the work of redemption. That's why so many Jews have become doctors fighting disease, or lawyers fighting injustice, or educators fighting ignorance. It's surely why they've produced so many pioneering and Nobel Prize winning economists. As Michael Novak, citing Irving Kristol, says, Jewish thought has always felt comfortable with a certain well-ordered worldliness, whereas Christian, the Christian has always felt a pull to otherworldliness. Jewish thought has a candid orientation toward private property, whereas Catholic thought has persistently tried to direct the attention of its adherents beyond the activities and interests of this world to the next. 
As a result, tutored by the law and the prophets, ordinary Jews have long felt more at home in this world, while ordinary Catholics have regarded this world as a valley of temptation and as a distraction from their proper business, which is preparation for the world to come. And that is Michael Novak, the Catholic thinker. God is to be found in this world, not just the next. But for us to climb to spiritual heights, we must first have satisfied our material needs. Abraham was greater than Adam, but Adam came before Abraham. When the physical world is harsh, the human spirit is broken, and people cannot then hear the word of God, even when it's delivered by Moses. Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev said it well, Don't worry about the state of someone else's soul and the needs of your body. Worry about the needs of someone else's body and the state of your own soul. Alleviating poverty, curing disease, ensuring the rule of law and respect for human rights, these are spiritual tasks no less than prayer and Torah study. To be sure, the latter are higher but the former are prior. People cannot hear God's message if their spirit is broken and their labor harsh.